Today's read, Midnight, a gangster love story by Sister Soldier. Chapter 27, Hood Chicks. I was tight for the rest of the day. I had nobody to be mad at other than myself. So I followed through on handling my business as usual. At 7 p.m., I showed up for a scheduled basketball practice on the outdoor court outside of the high school gym where we usually practice. I don't think Vega was worried too much about us sweating inside of the hot-ass gym. I don't think he moved us outside to enjoy the spring breeze. By moving us outside, he put us under the pressure of performance for the random spectators who showed up to watch. No player minded getting barked on at practice in front of his teammates, but no player wanted to get barked on outside in front of the hood. I saw that it did cause a couple of our players to step up their effort and their game. Ever since the clocks were pushed forward by an hour for the spring season, the sunlight lasted much longer than it had during the winter months. That night, at 9 p.m., right as the sky gray got overtaken by the blackness, The temperature dropped by 10 degrees, and she came running in with the night breeze. She crashed into the metal fence that surrounded the ball court and then whistled like a man. She caught everybody's attention. I want to talk to you, she said. Most of the players who had just finished packing up started heading over towards her. I stood still. Not all y'all. Don't even try it, she said boldly. He know who I'm talking about. A couple of players looked back. Panama stepped up from the rear saying, who else but the team captain? He started to move towards the fence where she was leaning now with her breasts pressed against the wires. Panama, I called out. She's looking for me, my bad, I said. They all turned back around going on about their business. Practice was over now, anyway. Walking over towards the fence, I asked her, You looking for trouble? She smiled and said, I'm looking for midnight. Why you always calling me? I asked her. Why you never calling me? She asked. I gave you my number. What would you have done if the rest of the team came to meet you at the fence? What then? I asked her. Then I would have waited for you to look out for me just like you did, she said, smiling. Besides, I got two legs. I would have ran. They would have to get around this fence first. They would have never caught up with me. I'm fast. I would have dashed right down that side alley, she pointed. They don't know that way. That's my secret. Then I would have ended up right at my bedroom window, she smiled. All I could do was laugh. She was so excited telling her little story to me. I walked her home because it was dark. She had a bag, and she had already drawn too much attention onto herself. I really couldn't guarantee what Panama had in mind. I know you've got a girlfriend, she said, walking. Before I could say anything, she threw her hands over her two ears, closed her eyes, and started saying, Nope, no, no, nope, 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 don't tell me. Don't answer. When she opened them up and noticed I wasn't saying nothing, she pulled her hands down. You're crazy, I told her and meant it. It's okay, because if you would have met me first, 
I know what would have happened, she said, looking at me with a side glance. What would have happened, I asked her. You know, she smiled even harder. What, I asked. You know, she started jumping up and down in place and stomped her foot. Instead of me looking for you, you would have been looking for me. She struck a pose. I kept walking and carrying her bag. If I stop walking, you gotta stop walking too, she said. You don't even know where my house is, she said, challenging me now with both of her hands on her hips. Yes, I do, I said, still facing forward. You already told me. I kept walking. I waited in the alley under the only ground-level window. For two minutes, I held her lightweight groceries before she showed up. It was a dark, narrow path between two four-story brownstones. I heard her hurried footsteps approaching. I was thinking she must have figured out that her temper tantrum didn't work on me. I handed her the bag. I doubled back and disappeared. I could hear her calling out her phone number. 718. All I could do was laugh. This girl was nuts. But her little prank loosened me from my fury at my fighting failures of the day. Late night, I waited to hear the sound of Akimi's voice on my voicemail. Out of nine business messages, not one was from her. I would have been satisfied hearing her say one word. Her silence wasn't pushing me away. Every day I didn't see or speak to her, my interest, my thoughts and feelings were just escalating. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. shower and a fresh cut. I cleaned up nice on Thursday. All brand new. I was wearing my suede Ralph Lauren dress shirt, polo jeans, and even cracked open a fresh pair of dark brown leather low boots with the gold buckle. I was going to the Palace, an elite hotel in Manhattan where they dressed the doormen up like fools so the rich could be sure by looking at them that they were definitely the servants. Fozzie was staying in this hotel for the next 10 days in a room that was actually an entire apartment. There was a kitchen, living room, a master bedroom, and three bathrooms. The apartment even had a separate doorbell that chimed. Following Uma's instructions, I was delivering his new bride's new dress, the one she would wear to the mosque for the signing of the marriage contract. I had the scented garment hanging and wrapped and nicely placed in a long silver garment bag. I took a taxi to the hotel to avoid having the garment tossed and crushed over an overcrowded morning train. I thought about how Fozzie, a Sudanese groom, was responsible to provide everything for his Sudanese bride. And I mean everything. 
I was to deliver the dress to him so that he could present it to the bride's mother, along with each item they had already negotiated and agreed upon, including the jewelry. Monetary sums would also change hands from Fozzie's father to the bride's father. Everything the bride received according to our traditions would become hers. It is not proper in Islam to take back anything a husband has granted to his wife in the contract. But I guess Fozzie was right in some small way. Whatever he gave to his wife remained with him because she would remain with him forever. I was relieved to hand the garment in perfect condition over to him. Afterwards, I had to hurry to collect deposits on two Uma Designs side orders which customers had placed with the understanding that because of the wedding account we were involved in, they would have a longer wait than usual. While working, I ran across an odd little place called the Helium Hub. Since it looked like an interesting business with unique offerings, I walked up in there. I would at least collect a business card from them and drop off one of our cards as well. Inside, there were three walls covered with uninflated new balloons of every imaginable color. Every two inches of wall had a different color balloon pinned up as a sample. How many colors? I asked the lady up front. We have 240 different colors. That's three times the amount of colors offered in the deluxe Crayola crayon box. Each balloon is 50 cents except if you buy in bulk, which is an order of 100 or more balloons. Then it's 25 cents each. She smiled. 100 balloons, I repeated, skeptical. You'd be surprised. Some businesses and events order tons of them. They make a plain place look exciting and women and children love them. Looking around, I figured they had to be selling something besides balloons to turn a real profit. Although I could see from the extremely small size of the space that the rent they were paying couldn't be too much. What else you selling? I asked the lady. Just balloons, she answered. But our balloons are filled with a special helium solution. The balloons from the other stores will die out in an hour or two. Hours will last for 48 hours or more, she said. 48 hours, I repeated. I ended up ordering 100 balloons from their elite line, the psychedelic ones with the crazy colors that I knew she would like. They would match her strange stockings and tights. They cost double the price of the basic colors. There was also a $25 service fee for the short guy whose job was to pump them up. Then there was the $25 delivery charge to have the balloons delivered to New Jersey where Akimi was staying for the week. I was starting to see how the Helium Hub made their profit, but I didn't care about the money. I wasn't going to walk around the city holding a bunch of balloons like some kind of clown. Yet, I grabbed the opportunity to do something special that she could feel. Once she received them, I would invite her to come out to the Ajit ceremony with me on Saturday. Uma wanted to meet her, and Naja was going to be there too, so it meant the world to me. 
Each balloon will be knotted and then tied with three colorful twisted ribbons, the lady said, after collecting my information and my money and completing my receipt. Would you like to write anything on the card? It's complimentary with your delivery. She pointed to the small card collection in her counter case. I chose a lavender-colored gift card and wrote inside. Akimi, I would like you to meet my family on this Saturday at 5 o'clock. If you say yes, I'll come and get you from wherever you are and bring you back safely afterwards. Mayonaka. I knew it would be her cousin reading the note aloud to her or someone else in her family, so I wanted it to be short and simple and decent. Then I would wait for her or someone in her family to give me a call and hopefully a favorable answer. In the evening, I showed up on the deuce to meet with Chris and Amir and their girls as promised. 42nd Street was all lit up and bursting with people and tourists, same as it would be late into the night, same as it would be almost 24 hours a day. Our meetup spot, the arcade, was three floors of fun for teens and tourists and conmen and pimps looking for teens and tourists. In New York, that was unavoidable. It just came with the territory. Chris was inside the picture booth behind the curtain with his girl. I recognized him by his kicks. Homegirl was alone and bent over on the pinball machine. Her face changed as soon as she saw me roll up. I thought she was going to leave me hanging was her greeting to me after all of this time. Is that what I should have done? I asked her. Oh, and you got a smart mouth, she said. Did you show up to watch or do you want to play? I asked her. Yeah, let's do the air hockey. I'm good at that, she said. I put the dollar in and we grabbed our handles and started slamming that plastic puck around like our lives depended on it. She was mean on the table. I imagined she was looking at that puck like it was me. She was banging that shit with a vengeance. Every time she leaned in, those 34 Ds bubbled out of her dance-skin body shirt. I could see the white body powder in her cleavage. She had her leather belt drawn tight around her small waist and wore jeans that couldn't restrain that ass. I was part playing the game checking her out her 10 carat gold knocker earrings dangling from her ears she rocked Reeboks as I looked around the place every teenage female had on the same thing tight jeans tees and kicks nice looking bodies okay faces but not a lot of originality style or variety I thought to myself I could pick any one of these girls It seemed like no matter what, I'd end up with the same damn thing. After a while, I let her win the game, but I didn't tell her that. Told you I was good, she said, grinning. Let's play Pac-Man, she suggested. I followed her over, not really interested in the little girly game. I dropped in two quarters and she pushed two players. She got eight up real quick because she couldn't be calm and steady. Pac-Man is a simple game of nerves. 
All six of us ended up lined up side by side driving the race cars against one another. I don't know about the girls, but me, Amir, and Chris was definitely competing to run each other off the road and race to the finish line. Chris had his hands gripped tight on the steering wheel, his face all screwed up like this shit was for real. He was in a zone like he gets in a good basketball game. Amir was serious at first, then lost focus laughing at Redbone whose car was crashing into everything including the walls and even driving backwards from the finish line. Homegirl was looking over at me when Chris won the race. Let's go somewhere and get something to eat, Redbone said. Chris jumped in immediately and said, Pizza! Me and Amir both laughed, knowing this cat was constantly concerned about the budget. At the pizza store, Chris slid his girl some money and a motherfucking buy one get one free coupon. He told her, get two pies and drinks. We laughed again. The girls went up to get the food and we hung back and took the chance to talk. What's the plan, I asked. We'll take them to the 745 show at the Royale. The seats lean back, Amir said, smiling. I brought a bag of candy in case they asked for anything, Chris said, cracking up. Damn, you can't break down and buy her a bucket of popcorn? I asked him. Not when I can get 20 pieces of candy for a dollar and popcorn at the movies costs $5, he said. You too cheap, man, Amir barked. The more I save, the more we save. You'll be thanking me later when we turn up driving our new Testarossa. Word up, I agreed. Homegirl and Redbone came back with two pies. Chris's girl carried the drinks in a cardboard tray. I sat there staring at the two pork pepperoni pizzas before I just stood up and walked away from the table. I'm thinking that Redbone and Amir been together now for a minute. She been chilling at his house and him at hers. He been bringing her around to all our spots. Didn't she know he considered himself a Muslim and that we don't eat no goddamn pork? I wasn't hungry anyway. Still, I didn't want to sit over there on the pig, by the pig on the pie. I realized these chicks didn't really know us. Even if we planned our, explained ourselves to them, they either wouldn't understand or wouldn't care or better yet, would think we was on some bullshit. I heard homegirl ask her girlfriends, what the fuck's wrong with him now? Chris jumped up and grabbed the two round trays with the pies, untouched, and took them back to the counter. Next thing I know, an argument broke out between Chris and the guy up front. The angry Italian was refusing to take back the pies. Once the pie leaves the counter, it's yours, he barked. Me and Amir stood up. As soon as he saw us coming, he picked up his telephone receiver and threatened to call the police. The girls ran up talking about, what's wrong, y'all? There ain't nothing wrong with this pie. Each of the three of them grabbed a slice for themselves and started chomping. The angry Italian hung up the phone. Now the girls were sitting with the pork pies back at the table. We fellas were still standing our jaws tight, estimating what could be done about the rude Italian.
I knew the girls thought they were helping us stay out of a fight or from getting arrested, but I was burning anyway. Forget it, man. They ain't know, Amir said, defending the girls. I can order one without the meat. Nobody told them to put pepperoni on it anyway, Chris said. Nah, I'm good, I told them. I'm not hungry. We went back to join them at the table. I sat sideways in the chair, just cooling out my temper. Homegirl was staring at me outright. Redbone was getting her secret glances on, too. Then they would signal each other. And none of it mattered to me. At the movies, I hung back and got some popcorn and a Coke. When I walked inside, I seen everybody was paired off and seated in separate rows and sections. I handed the popcorn and the drink to homegirl. Thanks, she said. In the dark theater, Chris and his girl and Amir and his girl got it on. For them, it didn't matter what the fuck was on the screen. After just 10 minutes, homegirl got real aggravated. For some reason, she started squirming in her chair and looking around. She wasn't interested in the film, I guessed. She started exhaling real hard, then folded her hands across her body. I looked at her. She was rolling her eyes. I don't know what she was thinking, but I was thinking, to me, she was average. Her personality didn't shine through. She had a nasty attitude, and her conversation had my mind wandering off all over the place. Redbone's face was buried deep in Amir's lap. As he leaned back in the flexible theater seats, her head was bobbing up and down. I thought to myself, no wonder this brother was pushing so hard for me to get with homegirl. If I wasn't here to keep her out of Redbone's face, he would have lost out. Can I say something to you? Homegirl asked. Talk, I told her. What the fuck did I ever do to you? She asked. I don't know what you're talking about, I answered calmly, but I could tell without even turning my head towards her that she was getting real wild up. Since you first met me, you've been acting like you're too good for me. What's up with that? You don't really want to know. I told her still calm. If I didn't want to know, I wouldn't even ask, she shot back with attitude. When I first met you, you was with some other dudes, I told her. So, she said, I didn't know you yet. You didn't know them either, I answered her. She sat quiet for a minute. Then, after you was with them, you switched up and rolled with us, I reminded her. So, your man like my girl, she explained. Right, was all I answered. Right what, she asked with fury. He picked her. Chris picked your other girl, but I didn't pick you, I said calmly. She didn't have no quick response. I told you you really didn't want to know, I said. After a few seconds, she asked, if I wouldn't have been with them other niggas first and you just met up with us like a coincidence, would you have picked me? Nah, I told her. Why? 
she screamed. A couple of people in the theater turned around saying, shh, loudly. Yo, relax, I told her. Then I didn't say nothing else. Why the fuck not, she asked, getting loud all over again. I'm not saying nothing else. You're getting too crazy, I told her. She stood up and in one unexpected motion dumped the Coke and emptied the popcorn box on me. As I sat there, drenched in soda syrup and popcorn butter, I saw myself standing up and choking the shit out of her. I didn't have to be able to see my Ralph Lauren suede shirt to know that it was ruined. Now I would have to throw away a garment that cost me two weeks pay. The Coke was all over the already dirty movie theater floor, mixing with the dirt and the grease and making a paste on the bottom and sides and in the ridges of my low boots. But my father told me never beat a woman. If she gets crazy, just restrain her. I thought about his words and I thought about getting out of there before this chick got so loud that the next thing I would be up against the wall getting patted down by the popo. Amir and Chris was on their way over towards us. I got up calmly and told them, don't even worry about it. I knew I didn't want to fuck with this crazy broad. I'll check y'all tomorrow. I moved to roll out and homegirl stuck both her feet forward to block my path. I stepped over her and left. Back on the deuce, wearing a wet and stained shirt in the night chill of spring, I walked right into a nearby narrow army and navy store. I picked out a new crispy green army shirt and pants and popped the tags and put them on. At the register, I paid cash and regretfully dropped the Ralph Lauren and my wife beater into the steel wastebasket. Outside, I cleaned up my boots off with a bunch of napkins and bottled water I copped from a Frank stand.